Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my co-host, Jim. Jim, how's it going? Oh, it's going well, Ryan. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you for being on the show. In case you folks may have uh, missed it, uh, we talked about it last week, but I just wanted to remind everybody that uh, Jocelyn is okay. She's taking a couple weeks off the podcast for medical reasons, and we're going to have guests on until she returns. So Jim is this week. And Jim, as promised, in you know contractually, every guest I bring on has some sort of contract. I'm sure next week when Josh is on, we'll talk about uh, Don't Starve Together because, again, contractually obligated to, to do so. Uh, Jim has brought some anime stuff, <laughs> and um, we are going to... You know, the funny thing about anime, like I, we joke about anime, but there was a discussion in the Discord today, bit.ly slash TGI Discord, about Yu-Gi-Oh!, and I mean, that was probably my first introduction to anime, um, I guess after the Pokemon show. Like, the Pokemon show was different, but, but Yu-Gi-Oh! felt like, oh, this isn't a N- Nintendo game, this is, a, this, is a, this is an anime. I don't know, were you into the Yu-Gi-Oh? Because we had some Discord people over into Yu-Gi-Oh! I was probably a little old for that. Mm. I think I just kind of missed that. It's kind of the same with Pokemon, too. I was like, um, like, a friend of mine has this theory that, like, we were just barely old enough that... We weren't like automatically into Pokemon. Everybody that was like a year or two younger than us was, but we just kind of missed it. So like most people that are like our exact age are maybe into Pokemon, maybe not really. But then you go just like a year or two younger, which I believe you're a year or two younger than me. And like everybody loved Pokemon. Mm -hmm. I think for me, you know, Pokemon was one of those things that hit, like you said, right at the right moment and uh but but like other things i just i latched onto it for a lot longer than than most folks in my age range like everybody who is playing pokemon on the school ground had sort of walked away from it and i was i was still going which shouldn't surprise anybody because once i once i get into something i i usually don't (laughs) i usually don't stop especially when new content i mean we're gonna talk about one of those later on but uh, yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh came up in the Discord, and and then the other anime thing, and I don't know if you've I I try I started watching One Punch Man, which is really cool, and also I keep seeing ads for like Attack on Titans, which is just like giant naked people eating <laughs> uh you know regular sized people. Is that accurate? Did you? I don't I don't I've know if not seen Attack on Titans, but I have <laughs> heard the thing with the giant naked people, and yeah, it's 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 a popular series, but I don't really watched that much anime oh okay so but you play anime games which is great because i play quite a few of those and and this first one you've brought here is the trails series which again i've i'm not super familiar with but i've i've heard of it i've seen it you know pop up from time to time and you are you are delving into the trails series yes i have kind of gotten myself into a mess okay because i have essentially committed to my committed myself to playing what is currently a nine game jrpg series (laughs) where everything is like super interconnected this isn't like you know final fantasy where every game is different this is like so far three separate arcs but every arc is happening kind of simultaneously with the others and there's a lot of references to stuff in other games and such and it's unfortunately turned out to be really really good so after playing Trails of Cold Steel 1 a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, um, which is the latest arc, I wanted to play the whole thing. So 
that is, you know, nine games that are probably minimum of about 30 to 35 hours and upwards of like 70 to 80, which is a lot to get into. Yeah, that is quite a bit of content. And I, I'm curious, in terms of this, this trail series, what is the what is the JRPG sort of rundown? Is it is it turn-based combat? Is it open world, roam around, random battles? Like, what are uh, we looking at here with this one? Very much not open world. It is kind of the traditional, like, you know, small designed areas. You run through, like, this very narrow pathway out in the wilderness, and there's, you know, some monsters and stuff in between towns or other, like, focal points. But it is a turn-based series, and... Probably the most like complicated turn-based combat I've ever seen. It's not like really complicated in a bad way. Once you learn the basics, it's actually pretty easy to know all the aspects of it. But you've got, you know, um, essentially your basic attack. You know, your standard like you know, just go up and hit the guy with your sword or your gun or whatever. Then you've got two different types of special attacks, which, funnily enough, are called arts and crafts, which I think has got to be a joke on their part. Because, um, well, often, like, magic attacks in JRPGs are referred to as arts. So I think they just thought, like, oh, it wouldn't be funny if the other one was called crafts. But you got those, and they have, you know, separate resources that are gained and managed in separate ways. And also, it's not just, like, stand in one place and an animation happens. There's also a lot of positioning things. Some moves move you out of position. Um, some moves depend on having like enemies close together or your teammates close together for like support moves. So there's really a lot of depth to it, but not like in a bad way. Like it's not like you don't feel overwhelmed or anything. It's so it's actually pretty well done. Uh, my only complaint really about the combat is not the combat system itself, but more like some of the encounter design. It just feels very um, inconsistent in terms of, like difficulty or the things you have to deal with. Like, you'll just, like there's this one thing in Trails of Cold Steel 1 where I get to this boss and all of a sudden it's constantly hitting my whole party with this nightmare status effect, which is like, I think you fall asleep and you take damage every turn. And there's like accessories you can equip that make you immune to it. But there's like nothing in the dungeon going up to it. Like, you know, you might be like monsters like lesser monsters casting the nightmare status effect on you. So you're like, oh, maybe I should equip something to deal with this. And then you prepare for the boss. Instead, it's just like, nope, all of a sudden you're in this boss and dealing with something you're completely unprepared for. And it is way harder than you'd expect. Hmm. Interesting. Which is I found in, like, so far I played Trails of Cold Steel 1. And then just yesterday I finished Trails in the Sky, which is the first game in the overall series. There's um, three series, Trails in the Sky, three games, the Crossbell Duology, which well, has duology, two games, which unfortunately has not been localized for the West, but there are apparently very good fan translations out there. They'll still be able to play those. Then the most recent one is Trails of Cold Steel, which is four games where they, I don't believe it's on PC yet, but the fourth game did come out pretty recently. So essentially those three arcs are all complete, and then they're going to have at least two more arcs after this going forward. Wow. But, they crank these things out. Like, yeah, well, it has been running since 2004. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. So it's going, it's going on for a long time. And the games, even though there is, you know, considerable time gap between Sky and Cold Steel One, they're mostly the same at like their core, though obviously 2004 RPG is far more primitive and like UI and graphics and, you know, just kind of like game design. But overall, these are just really like deep narrative games with like really tremendous world building, like very, um, there's a lot of like political aspects with it. Uh, Trails of Cold Steel 1, you're dealing with, um, well, you're a student in a military academy, academy in a place called the Erebonian Empire. And they've got like, you know, the traditional sort of like class system with nobles and commoners and a very large amount of tension between them. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, I should point out that Fire Emblem Three Houses most definitely got a lot of inspiration from Trails of Cold Steel One. <laughs> I was going to say I'm getting a lot of uh, Garrick Mock uh, oh, yeah. uh, feelings I mean, from this. Oh yeah, you've got the military academy. You've got your often drunk teacher who's sad about her bad love life. You've got your um, antagonist who's always going around in a mask and a disguised voice that is clearly going to be a big reveal of somebody you don't expect at some point. And really the format of the way you you go through the game with like, because every month you have what's like essentially a free day, but you have some quests. So you go around you know, doing the quests and you can do like little bonding events with your teammates. And then you've got a dungeon you go through that day. Then you also have a field study where your team like goes out into the world and of course, there's always some unexpected major thing that, that you get into because, you know, story reasons, obviously. But uh, let's see. It's like there's so many different things to talk about these games, but so I don't want to like ramble on forever. No, I, I, well, I have a couple of questions. I'm curious. Like, so this is uh, this is a series that's primarily been on the PlayStation platform as well as PC. It actually started out on PC. Trails okay. in the Sky was originally just a PC game, then, but it has been on PlayStation more recently. Um, Cold Steel One was originally re- released um, on PlayStation Three and the Vita, and then was ported to the PC later on. Okay, interesting. And it looks like Trails of Cold Steel Four is going to be out in April, so in just in just a couple weeks. So, do you think you're going to be able to? To wrap up two and three before four comes out? <laughs> oh, definitely not. Because okay. I've just finished Sky and I've started Sky 2. Actually, it's called Sky Second Chapter, and the third one is called Sky the Third because why well, have normal names? Hmm. But, and then you've got, I have the two Crossbell games, the fan translated ones, then Cold Steel 2 and Cold Steel 3. So I have got a lot to play through before I get to four. Yeah, I'm looking at the visuals of it, and I you know, we were talking about anime and and JRPGs earlier and pre-show as well. One that always comes to mind whenever I see these games is I'm reminded very vividly of this memory of playing a Tales game on the GameCube, and I'm I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was like Tales of well, obviously it was Tales of something. That'd be cheating if I just said that, but uh, oh yeah, Tales of Symphonia. And I remember playing, I might, did I rent it? I know I, I probably didn't buy it. It doesn't seem like something I would at, at the time would have purchased, but yeah, I'm looking at the artwork now and I remember, I remember renting this thing and just playing it quite a bit. Obviously it came to every other platform 
soon after but yeah it's uh i love the look and feel of jrpgs especially of this kind and you know i always want to get back into it i always want to try one i tried with dragon quest 11 and i I did pick it up before i think i have it on ps4 and persona was another one too where i think as soon as persona 5 uh uh what's the what's the new one royal yeah once that one goes on a decent sale i should pick it up even though i have started i I think i own persona 5 twice now just because of the playstation 5 ps plus collection but uh yeah i don't know that's another thing i always feel like i don't want to play this if there's a new one i think i knew at the time that the royal was coming out so i (laughs) i should have known that i my brain would react that way we i remember we discussed that though and i recommended that you just buy the original for like was like 15 20 bucks because oh, yeah. i mean like we were talking about then you're just not likely to finish that game yeah because it is a lot of hours 100 hours in fact so it kind of made a lot more sense to you know if you just want to get an idea of what persona 5 is like then just you know buy the original save the money yeah it's certainly extremely well worth the time to play but it's a big commitment yeah, I, I remember it was like twenty bucks, and I was going I was going on a vacation, so I was planning on bringing the PlayStation Four with me to to play while the kids were asleep. And uh, yeah, no, I I it I did get a good chunk in, and I really enjoyed it. I, I also feel like Persona Five would be a game that would be easy to jump back into. And I know you had mentioned this one's like uh, Trails of Cold Steel. Like if I were to, if you were to jump out and jump back in, it's like okay, what where when how <laughs> yeah that would be it'd be harder with trails especially cold steel compared to like i mean sky is i mean again older games shorter games definitely more simplified narrative even though there's like a lot of kind of you know just a little bit of like little world building bits from here from, um from time to time that really gives you like some depth to the world but like cold steel there is a lot going on a lot of like political stuff like both internal and external tensions, references to history. Um, of course, a lot of like, you know, interpersonal conflicts like within the class because you've got first nine, then 11 people that, you know, nobody knew each other ahead of time. So they're all kind of like getting to know each other and dealing with, you know, conflicting personalities and stuff. So there's a lot going on, but Persona 5 is definitely a lot, uh, it's more streamlined. Even though it is a very long game, it's um it is something you could kind of jump in and out of because there's not that much like really important stuff you need to remember it's just you know like pretty key events that you'll probably keep in mind and then the details are you know not that big of a deal you won't be like lost or anything Mm -hmm. yeah certainly it's like persona 5 is a much easier game for me to recommend to people than like one of the trails games because even though it is a very long game, longer than any games in this series, it's just one game and then you're done. While this is like, okay, even if you just do Cold Steel and want the newer ones, that's still probably going to be, I don't know, 70 hours each close to that, like 250 to 300 total. So that is like a much larger commitment. Yeah. They also wrap things up real nicely, at least not in the first game of each series I've played. It's basically both have left you want like a massive cliffhanger right at the end. So they do, they do like, okay, now you're going to need to play the next. Like, that's really nice. It seems like the way they've structured it is they've really committed to 
this is a story told in four parts. Um, obviously, in hindsight, it's easy to say because because all three of the four parts are out. Um, but I wonder, like, did they set aside this, like, this is a four-part story told over four games? Is that the idea that they had? And that's what they put their foot forward as? Or is it just they're, they're going to do as many games as it takes to, to tell the story? I'm guessing with Cold Steel, they probably intended it to be four from the beginning. What I don't know, though, is when they made Trails in the Sky, like the first two games, the third is apparently loosely connected, but not a direct continuation of the story of the first two. Like, I don't know if they had in mind that they were going to do this, you know, 20-year-long project of making who knows how many games. I think they've said they're going to do at least two more, like, two-game arcs, so they're going to have at least 13 games total. And you got to figure that's going to run at least until, like, 2025 something like that mm-hmm. so but i wonder like did they want to do this from the very beginning or was it just like oh hey this is an interesting world we started to create um let's do more i kind of think they did at least they wanted to because there are like details and hints dropped about the neighboring countries because each arc takes place in a different nation on the same continent so it, it does feel like they were at least hoping they could do more with it Mm. yeah well it sounds really cool i mean it's one of those things that i'm i'm probably excited to just uh live through live through the discord and and hear people's thoughts on the franchise and stuff so so it's really cool to to hear about uh trails of of cold steel um you know speaking of a, a franchise that goes way back i mean this isn't a franchise but uh i don't know if you've heard of uh stubbs the zombie is that a game that that rings any bells for you? Two thousand five. Uh, it only rings a bell because of the, I guess, the Nintendo Direct that talked about re-releasing it. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, it did get a it did get a feature on that. So, I mean, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because it's uh, it it is what it is. I mean, they kind of gave it more fanfare than than was maybe warranted on that Nintendo Direct. I mean, it is a game. So Stubbs, uh, of course, it's a game. This is the gamers in. Uh, Stubbs the Zombie in Rebel Without a Pulse is an Xbox cult classic that came to the PC a couple months after its fall 2005 launch. And then since then has had a bit of a rocky existence in that, you know, it lived fairly risk-free until about early 2010 or 2012. And then it kind of disappeared from all digital storefronts due to the licensing of music because they had a lot of indie indie bands cover, at the time, indie bands uh, cover old 50s pop music. And, you know, a couple of those bands are, I, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm not super familiar with them, but, um, well, I do know Cake. So Cake did one, and Death Cab for Cutie did another one, which I guess is a big deal. And uh, they, essentially, the digital rights uh, lapsed, and the company that made the game had, like, folded and was no longer you know, still around. So the game was kind of like it, the license was owned by, uh, probably, I think it's, I think it's Aspire that, uh, that put this one out and they were the original publishers on the PC back in the day. And uh, this is a re-release. So, you know, that trailer, I think while still showing Xbox visuals did kind of punch it up a little bit. Like this very much is, the xbox ver or i guess the original pc version of stubs the zombie i played on pc and it it shows like 
2005 video games, like early 3D, I guess it would, it would be second generation uh, consoles for 3D graphics, but oof, it's, uh, <laughs> it's rough, rough stuff. Um, this is not a remake. This is not a remaster. This is a, this is a re-release just to kind of get it back out there on digital shelves. Um, cause it has been unavailable for almost a decade, which is kind of crazy that, that they would come back and, and bring this, bring this game back. I mean, it is a cult classic and people have been, been asking for it. Um, we went pretty in depth on zombies ate my podcast, uh, which was the main sort of coverage for stubs. And my co-host Lou is always like, you got to play Stubbs. I can't believe you haven't played Stubbs. And and I, I remember Stubbs. I remember the marketing. Um, I don't know why I didn't pick it up. It just, it, it seems like a game that would at the time just wasn't something I was going to be interested in, but having played it now for the first time, like it's one of those games, the gameplay of it, I can totally see why it was well regarded back in the day because the gameplay holds up, which I think is very hard to do uh nearly you know 15 years or over 15 years later like i there's not many games i can think of from 15 years ago that still hold up to to in terms of being able to play it like the the graphics are definitely xbox but um it's still fun to kind of run around and you know throw your uh your gut grenade and and you know blow people up and stuff it's uh, it's definitely got like that 2005 feel in terms of the writing and the music and the sound. Like it's all really like Xbox, you know, really um, crunchy audio. Like they didn't, they didn't do any work to kind of like bump this up. This is a, a definitely a re-release. But uh, I think if if folks are fans of uh, Stubbs the Zombie and they're looking to add it back into their collection, I think it's certainly certainly worth checking out. Um, now and and again, if you hadn't played it, I think it's worth maybe adding into your wish list and maybe trying it out when it goes on sale. Because I think there's just there's something about it that is that is really it's kind of interesting to go back to 2005 and and play this one and be like this actually holds up to a certain degree. Like you kind of have to you know uh, squint a little bit with the graphics, but um, you don't necessarily have to have to worry about that with the gameplay. Uh, what did you play it on? I played it on PC and um, it has it has some uh, it has some crashing issues, just a couple little things here and there. Like it'll hard crash. I think they've patched it at least once, uh, you know, since I've had those issues. I played it earlier today and and didn't have um, any issues, but I played it on PC. It is available on, I think, PS4, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch, as you mentioned. Yeah, I wonder if it'd be maybe best on the Switch in handheld mode, where the graphics, you know, will you know just would actually kind of benefit from the smaller screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, I think on Switch, like that's a really good point. I think as a handheld game, you could probably you could probably get away with the look uh, and and sound of it as well, just because you you don't have like a like a speaker system or headphones on, and it's kind of coming through the Switch the switch speaker it's um yeah i don't know how it runs on the consoles i don't know how it runs on the switch but honestly being an xbox game as long as they uh they properly ported it i'm sure it runs it runs smoothly like it and it has that feel of like you're kind of the way the gameplay works is that you're kind of dropped into this area and you're the you're the your stubs you're the zombie and you're running around and um most of the levels are like either uh 
like a downtown city center or like a mall or a farm and you're just running around and you're basically just trying to survive from point A to B in the sense that you're just trying to move your way through the 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 enemies whether they're like uh citizens or cops or I think near the farm level it's like it's a bunch of <laughs> It's a bunch of hillbillies and, um, <laughs> they're, they're, they, and they play well, they, they really play to like the 2005 humor. So not being like a re-release or, or sorry, not being a remaster, they don't, they don't apply any sort of changes to that. So again, when you're playing it, you're going to have to remember like, this is what 2005 thought was funny and may not, it probably doesn't hold up in that regard. Now, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of jokes like, I think when you run up, run up against the farmers, they're like uh, the Illuminati and the penguins and 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 the, the commies, and I'm like, okay, all right, that's I don't know if that's funny anymore, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a really interesting game. Like I think you lose your way a little bit, like if you if you don't just keep moving because there's no like waypoint or anything. You just eventually it will tell you like, hey, you need to go here, but sometimes you can be wandering around aimlessly. But the idea is basically like make your way across the map and every time you bite a, a human that human will turn into a zombie and then you have some like limited control over the direction of your zombie horde and you can kind of use that to kind of push through the level even further and if you play it correctly by the end of the level you've got like a whole grouping of zombies sort of at your disposal so that you can just kind of like mouth through the rest of the rest of the level but I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting sort of look back at that 2005 sort of design doc of video games, and it really feels like one of those games that kind of, it feels like you're playing a cult classic, and, and you can really see why it would have resonated with a lot of folks on the Xbox in 2005 when um, there just wasn't a lot of like franchise characters on the Xbox platform. You kind of had Halo and that was about it, you know, uh, fable, I guess, but, uh, yeah, Stubbs is back. Uh, I don't know whether they're going to do a sequel or a remaster after this, but I would love to see sort of a smaller indie take on Stubbs in like bring, you know, modernize the gameplay, modernize the writing and all that. And the visuals please. And just kind of give us like a, like a, like a $40 sort of Stubbs offering. I don't know. It'd be really cool to see that. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking that, you know, I mean, they're dropping this re-release just kind of unexpectedly out of nowhere. I wonder if they are looking at it as, you know, maybe if it sells well and people are still interested in this game, maybe do a sequel. You know, probably like an indie game, maybe come out for like 30 bucks or something like that. But you know, if it's a cult classic, there might be that interest. Yeah, that concept of, you know, kind of collecting your own zombie army does actually sound pretty cool. So I think you could probably do something cool with that. Yeah. And it's so different from other zombie genre games where you are, you know, big muscular dude taking out an army of zombies. It's it's not that. You are the zombie. It's the very the humor is very tongue in cheek. Like it doesn't take itself seriously whatsoever. Um, like literally I think at the beginning of the game, like your zombie's walking through and sees like this pretty lady on a poster and is like, Oh, falls in love with her and like I think that's the plot is like you're trying to find this lady. Um, I think, I think Lou had told me there's like more story reasons, like his, his human self is what's causing that. Not necessarily like the zombie just sees the first, uh, first piece of advertising is like, Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, uh, it could use, it could use some work on that front as well as like, you know, maybe tightening, tightening up the story 
And yeah, I I would love to see because nothing is done these days to just to just be like we did it. It's back. We did our job. Like I, I think if this does well or well enough, the fact that Stubbs is is kind of been brought back and was featured in not only the Nintendo Direct but I think also in the PlayStation Direct that they did, the State of Play. So Stubbs has been making his way around the PR circles. Like he's. I think he's uh, he's trying to make a comeback here that could see sort of a smaller offering. I think even Destroy All Humans had like been teasing sort of a new game. And that's sort of a similar feel. Like You don't get those types of games anymore where you are the antagonist. Uh, you are the monster running around and, and uh, devastating humanity, right? So uh, we, we don't get to do that very often. We usually play the good guys. We usually play the heroes. So it's kind of interesting to play what would normally be the villain. So yeah, that's true. Uh, have you seen the movie Warm Bodies? No, and it's oh, it's always I, I should watch it though. I think. Yeah, it's a great zombie. Well, I mean, it's a zombie movie. But it's much more of a comedy. Not it's not like remotely any kind of horror movie. But it it really does remind me of what you're saying about Stubbs because the whole thing is this. You know, there's been the zombie outbreak. How many humans left? But this one zombie guy runs into this human girl and falls for her and it kind of like you know starts to de-zombify him Hmm. i i think it came up you know it's kind of funny you know i do a zombie podcast but there are these movies that either we watched a long time ago and they're considered like really good movies but they just don't come back up because there's always like those typical zombie genre movies that, that you just that always seem to like oh we have to watch this now and I think Warm Bodies is one that I think came out during the lifespan of the show, and I just never saw it. And I think my co-host did, and we kind of, kind of chatted a little bit about it. But I, I think uh, that's one I, uh, that's one I want to see, and I think I should definitely add to a list because we, I, I don't want to. <laughs> there's some really bad ones that we've watched these past <laughs> few months, and uh, sometimes it's nice to watch something that is. You know, like, and I, you know, I say good or great, but like, I'll take good. I'll take okay, honestly, after some of the, yeah. some of the fun ones I've watched recently. Yeah. Uh, well, but yeah. This is a great movie. It's actually something I, I think that Ashley would probably enjoy watching with you as well. Probably uh, make some show content out of it and then also uh, have a movie night. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Yeah, it was a uh, 2013 movie. So I, does Zamp go back that far? uh i think so i think we were like started in 2012 so it was like our first year so we were probably just getting the swing of things on how uh how we would sort of operate i think some of us had seen it and some of us didn't so it was one of those things where like someone saw it someone covered it so i was like off my plate i don't have to worry about it i'll go back to gosh what were we doing in 20 probably just the walking dead was a big deal (laughs) the zombie star or the star zombie guy whatever is uh, Nick Holt, who you probably most know from the more recent X-Men movies. He's the guy that plays Beast. Right, and he's also in Mad Max, right? Yes. He's one of the guy. He's the he's the shiny and chrome guy in Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, I thought he looked familiar for sure. I'll have to check that out. I'm I'm writing it down, and uh, I will uh, I will add it to our list of zombie movies we should cover. Um, but I mean, like back to the anime, because I'm curious, uh, this is one that I've heard a lot about and one that I've got very close to actually buying and or asking Jim if I should play it. Uh, and that's 13 Sen- Sentinels, I, Aegis, Aegis Rim? Uh, the most common spe- uh, pronunciation is Aegis. Aegis. 
you know, I'm terrible with pronouncing uh, JRPG stuff. I mean, if you've ever listened to Summoner's Call, you know that very well, that I'm terrible at pronouncing anything from a JRPG. Uh, this is actually yeah. a Greek word. The Aegis was um, Zeus's shield. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you played a lot of Smite with me, so you know. Also ter- <laughs> terrible at pronouncing that. Though in Smite, for whatever reason, the, the pronunciation of Aegis has just kind of stuck over the years. But it is technically Aegis. Aegis. Okay. So Aegis Rim is a PlayStation 4 game. It's VanillaWare. Um, and uh, VanillaWare in the sense that those are the developers. Uh, and this is a so this is a very narrative based JRPG. We talked a bit pre show. We're not going to spoil anything because it's very spoiler. It can be spoiled, and I think I I had someone sort of I listened to a podcast that kind of explained the general idea of what made the game really great, which was the story, and uh, so I kind of understand that. But um, I'm curious, like you've been are you are you finished with the game, or are you still working your way through it? Yes, I actually played this back in January. But I did just want to bring it up on the show because it's it is well still one of the more recent games that I played, and also just a game that I think really uh, really deserves more acknowledgement. And also because uh, Opera Seven Hundred Seven will probably yell at me if I don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is you, we never talked about this one. I, I think maybe it, I know it came up in the Discord a couple times, but it's not. This is not the typical kind of game that. Uh, you know, Jocelyn or I would, would play, right? Or at least, you know, stick around with for very long. Like, I could see one of us trying it for sure. But um, I'm, I'm curious. Like, I, I'm, like I said, I'm always looking for for an interesting JRPG. And I think the, the interesting thing about 13 Sentinels that kind of grabbed me was the unique sort of story that was at least explained to me. Uh, and again, like for sort of a to avoid spoilers like i won't get into it but like it sounded like a really interesting story that was unfolding over the course of many many hours which is always the the trouble um that is is a long game i'm guessing it's not actually well i guess it depends on your definition of long it took me about 31 32 hours oh that's not long that's not too bad which seems to be about the average for most people yeah it is a part kind of like a visual novel almost a little bit like a um, point-and-click adventure, but it's not, like, instead of having, like, items you pick up, you have this thought cloud where it's just, like, words and phrases that you can ask people about or you can, or your character can kind of reminisce on. But Because you do just kind of do a little bit of going from scene to scene and, like, figuring out what you need to do next. It's not, like, heavy on puzzles like adventure, though, so it's really is much more of, like, just visual novel, doing some very light gameplay stuff, but mostly just you know, character conversations and story events. But it's also a part strategy game. High schoolers have to get in giant robots to fight them off because that's how you fight off a giant uh, kaiju invasion with high schoolers and giant robots. Though it, it actually the the kaiju aren't like the big, like, alive Godzilla kind of monsters. They're actually just, it's really more of like a robot swarm. Mm. So you do have some, some really like big ones at times, but... It's also just tons and tons of like little ones, like big swarms, kind of like a um, ending this like one central point in the map that you have to prevent them from destroying. There's not, well, I mean, there's not really a whole lot I can say about the game because it is a, the story part is told over the course of the stories for 13 different characters, hence the 13 Sentinel. At some point, if you keep on going with their story, It'll like it'll lock you until you do someone else's story, or do some of the strategy parts. So 
you can't just go on infinitely until you're done with the character story, but it does allow you to, to kind of like make your own choice about who you want to who you want to learn about, and it's all very like like as you like learn more events and like what's happening and piece together things, you realize that maybe someone else's story that you did much earlier is actually like almost at the end of the timeline. Hmm. But the main thing is just that this is a very complicated, well, not com- I won't say complicated, a complex narrative is a better way, a more positive way to say it. Because there is um, a lot going on, a lot of mystery over what is happening to these different teenagers and what is happening to the world. Because it it's over the course of five different time periods and sometimes you travel, some characters will travel between them. And it all eventually connects into one story of finding out what the kaiju are, where they came from, why they're attacking, and what needs to be done to stop them, and also why these 13 people in particular are the one, oh, the ones that can stop it. And you learn it from, like I said, mostly from kind of a visual novel type of, you know, just storytelling, but also occasionally you go into the strategy portion, which is actually like all the strategy stuff is technically happening after all of the narrative things, even though, again, it's not linear. So you do play certain parts of the strategy section in the middle of the story stuff. But eventually you do kind of very late in the game because a very slow burn on the story. You do finally learn what's happening, like all the details, and it is just super interesting. Hmm. Like a really, really well done story, a very interesting take on you know this whole like kind of like tropey mecha versus kaiju thing and it's probably one of like the best narrative games i've ever played i think so highly of it and it is really a shame that it is not like you know it's from a a developer where selling five hundred thousand game five hundred thousand copies is you know quite successful for them though it really deserves like so much more exposure than that yeah no i i know it was a big part of giant bombs game of the year discussions and that's where i got a lot of the uh sort of explanation of the story and stuff but i I feel still knowing what i know it could still be enjoyed but i know going in blind with with the story that it's trying to tell is probably going to provide a bigger payoff especially since this is a full price title and I'm curious, like visual novel, I I understand like that's, is that just like, you know, a lot of talking back and forth and making choices or are you walking around, you know, key set pieces to discover and interact or how does that sort of passive visual novel stuff play out? You do walk around to different areas. It's a pretty limited area Um, at each, like each, each character you do probably about seven or eight different sections to their story, maybe a little more depending on the character. And it's usually you might go across like four or five different screens at most. So it's not really a like a large area to see or really not a lot of like gameplay complexity there. You're mostly just, you know, you talk to whoever's available on the scene, then it te- you can pretty much figure out what you need to do next. You know, whether it's like, talking to someone to go to a specific area or just going to like you know from a classroom to a cafeteria or whatever there's a couple spots where it was like kind of confusing about what i'm supposed to do next and one i actually had to 
look up online to figure out what I was supposed to do. Because the it was a little bit like obtuse what you had to do, like doing something in a specific order with a specific character on the screen, etc. But for the most part, it is pretty obvious what you're supposed to do. And you are mostly just experiencing the story that they're trying to trying to tell you. There's no choices to make or anything about like, you know, dialogue choices. It's just, you know, you, you talk to people, you find out what's going on, you kind of move on through that character specific story. Then you, you know, it ends at some certain point. You can either continue on with that character or go so go to somebody else or go do the strategy part. Mm-hmm. So it's not sorry, it's just not quite like visual novel, which is often like you know, you just like have character portraits on screen and just click through conversations. But it's definitely not like really an adventure game or anything like that either. Hmm, interesting. I, I was going to ask about the strategy layer of it. Is it like a Final Fantasy Tactics slash Fire Emblem stuff, or is it more like st- strategic use of resources? Like I, I'm, I'm curious about that sort of because st- strategy to me is 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 something that can can vary depending on, on what's being offered but i think mech games and i think you know into the into the breach and and fire emblem and all that yeah it's definitely more on like the fire emblem into the breach kind of thing where you start out with you know you got the central point which is the essentially the aegis system in each area that you have to defend until either like two real-time minutes past pass in the game or um well i guess I guess you wouldn't call it real time, but whatever. Two minutes pass on the game clock, or you destroy all the kaiju in the area. And you start out with, like, your up to six mechs, though sometimes it'll be like, you know, do only four, and you get this bonus reveal, like, little info reveal, such. But usually you have four to six mechs on your screen, and it's not turn-based exactly, but it pauses whenever you can do an action. So essentially you... You'll see the kaiju on the screen. You select your, one of your mechs. You'll select one of their different abilities they have, which might be like a me- a big melee hit, or a, basically goes all the way from like a melee hit all the way to what they call the super large missile, which is you know exactly what you'd think it is—a <laughs> really, really big missile. And everything has a specific. Um, I think it's called. I think EP is the resource, like energy points. It has, which is essentially mana. So it has a mana cost. It also has a different wait time, which is basically just a cooldown before that mech can go again. And any time that you're moving around on the screen or all your stuff is on cooldown, then it does act in real time and the kaiju move. But as soon as one of your mechs can go again, then it pauses. So you can take as much time as you need to, you know, decide what you want to do, think ahead, you know, position, um, pick what move you want aim it that kind of stuff so there's not any sort of like urgency to it it's not it's not a real-time strategy game really like you know starcraft or whatever when when you google uh 13 sentinels you get a lot of the visual novel type look stuff that you were describing but when you when you add combat and eventually you dive past all the uh you know anime characters looking off into the sunset uh very very worried um, you do get this like kind of a wireframe look and feel like it's kind of a unique sort of look. Al- although I'll say what comes to mind first, which is like it kind of looks very sort of mobile gamey type stuff. But I'm I'm guessing like there's a lot of 
there's like this wireframe. It's sort of a pulled out view. Now, when you go into combat, does it kind of like zoom in and give you more details to what's happening? You can zoom in a little bit, but for the most part, you are looking at a pretty wide view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, compared to the visual novel part, which is very beautifully done, uh, the strategy part is very basic looking. Though I think it kind of just has to be performance wise because there are some levels where you face a very like large number of small kaiju and when they're all moving at once or when you fire off a really big attack that destroys a ton of them at once you on my base ps4 it like the frame rate just dies like 10 fps maybe so i kind of think they had to go with that graphical style just because in some levels there are so many things happening that they it was just pretty much necessary to do that for performance reasons though it does it's kind of a cool effect in, a, in its own way Hmm. Interesting. No, look, it looks really cool. And, uh, and, and you were saying the strategy sort of combat stuff that comes at the end of a chapter. So is it, it, would you say it's like an equal part or? It's not as much of it. It's not really at the end of a chapter. It's just, there's going to be some points where the story, you might exhaust all the story portions you can do and everything is locked behind, like going back and doing some of the levels in the strategy part. Which again is just like for storytelling reasons, because there might be conversations in that strategy part that you need to hear before going on to the next story part. Okay. It's um, I, it's it's pretty good. Like it's a strategy thing. I, my criticism would just be that it does get to be a little bit samey after a while, because you've got four different types of mechs over the thirteen characters and. Every, every mech is a little bit different, but it's mostly the same moves for each type. So there's not really a lot of, like, it's not a big deal, really, which specific members you bring on the mission. So it's... And, I mean, there's just, you know, not... It is just a lot of the same thing, like, big horde of kaiju coming in, destroy the little guys, you know, do higher damage attack to destroy the big guys, you know, rinse, repeat. Though it is something where I'd, I'd really like to see someone take this combat system and do, like, a full-fledged strategy game with it. Because I do think it's got a lot of potential if uh, a game was built around it with the intention of it being all about the strategy as opposed to being really a secondary part to what is mainly just a narrative game. Oh, it sounds really interesting. Again, it was a game that uh, had popped up a couple times late last year, and I was like, that sounds really interesting. You know, for me, I like variety in my games, and that's always something that's missing from that variety, which is the, the, the JRPG offering. And I, and I really liked my time with, uh, opera is not going to like this. So if he's tuning in specifically for this discussion, <laughs> uh, I really liked final fantasy remake, um, final fantasy seven remake. And, uh, I apologize for speaking that name alongside 13 Sentinels, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is one I'll probably keep an eye out. I, I think it sounds really cool. I dig a good story. And I don't mind, you know, the JRPG tropes, which I'm sure are, are there's a lot of them in the game. Um, we talked about some. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. And I mean, before we, we jump into the news, I if we had if we had time, I was going to talk more about it. But honestly, it's probably kind of fitting to just give it a a brief mention because we're going to talk a little bit more about Marvel's Avengers in the news. Uh, I, I did, uh, I did experiment with that, uh, next gen upgrade that they offer you. So it's a free upgrade. 
And I'm sure, Jim, you've seen the tweets out there about how to uh, upgrade your save from the PS4 version of the PS5. Did you see that meme running around? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, I think it was even in the Discord. How You couldn't miss it. And yeah, it really is that sort of complex that, uh, you know, my PS4 save is on my PS5. There's no reason why the PS5... There's no non-technical reason in 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 my limited save understanding of how save games work uh it, it, it can access it it's on the ps5 the ps5 version can access the the ps4 save however there's there must be some processing that needs to be done because you have to upload it and i went through this similar process with miles morales you have to upload it to the crystal dynamic servers and then go into the PS5 version and have that recognize from the servers importing the PS4 save and then therefore creating a new PS5 save because this is not like an enhanced patch. This is, well, I guess it kind of is, but really what it is is this is a new game. So uh, in the sense that you are downloading Marvel's Avengers again for your PS5. So um, I went in expecting just to download a patch for the PS4 version, but I guess I kind of placed that out of my mind when I suddenly realized, oh, I have to download a whole new version of the game, have them both on or around the PS5, and then transfer the save from the PS4 version to the PS5, and then go to delete the PS4 version. Now, the last time I talked about this process, I accidentally deleted the PS5 version of Miles Morales, I did not make that mistake, even though when you go to delete, I, I almost did, because when you go to delete the PS4 version, even if you go through like the storage settings in the PlayStation and you say, I want to delete this PS4 game, when it gets to the delete confirmation screen, it actually automatically selects the PS5 version as well, Oh no! which is super annoying and explains why I quote unquote accidentally deleted the PS5 version of Miles Morales. Um, it's, it's a really crappy setup, but, uh, I booted up the PS5, uh, today because I've been playing the next gen upgrade and I booted it up again today to, to kind of jump back in before the show and the PS5 started installing the PS4 version <laughs> of, <laughs> of Marvel's Avengers again. And I'm like, I, I have the PS5 version. It's right here. It's still running. Why would I need you to install the PS4 version again after I just deleted? And I don't know if it's like growing pains or if it's just the system being like, oh, this is a PS4 game that you haven't installed yet. We're going to take care of that for you. And I appreciate it. However, uh, it's almost it's almost too much. Um, and like that technical stuff aside the next generation version of marvel's avengers doesn't necessarily feel like as as crazy a bump um as as i think i was expecting because i played this on the ps4 pro which had a 60 frames per second performance mode and because i'm so used to the gameplay of marvel's avengers at 60 frames i i, I find it very hard to go back to the 30 frames enhanced next gen featured one that has like enhanced visuals and, and uh, destruction and stuff. So I've been playing the 60 frames version and, and yeah, it looks better than the PS4 version, but it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't blow anything away. Like it, 
it still looks like Marvel's Avengers. Like this next gen version isn't going to suddenly be like, oh, this is it, guys. Hawkeye looks great. Uh, <laughs> even though, yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Did you end up picking up Marvel's Avengers or did you steer clear? Uh, because it, I, I was never really that interested in it in the first place, just based on what it was always advertised it be, as being. You know, this, you know, okay, there's going to be a campaign, but the real game is the live service stuff. And I just don't care, to be honest about that stuff. Yeah. It's just, and certainly not at like a $60 price point for, you know, what, 10 to 12 hour campaign, which I hear is quite good. And it is fun playing as these heroes and such. But, you know, once you get past that campaign, everything I hear from like everybody is there's just not a whole lot of depth behind that. Yeah. So, and, and funny, the reason I jumped back in shortly before we started recording is I hadn't done the Kate Bishop stuff. And I mean, we've been poking fun at the two Hawkeyes. I still think it's a really weird decision to start with the two Hawkeyes right off the bat from a narrative perspective. Like obviously those two characters are related in, uh, in, in storytelling. So it makes sense to kind of have them join relatively in quick succession because their stories are interlocked. Um, playing as Kate Bishop is fun. Same voice actress as, uh, Aloy. It's, uh, Ashley Birch. So she does a fantastic job at voicing Kate Bishop. But, um, I, I finished her sort of op, they call it operation. So her campaign edition, and that was a lot of fun. Story was really interesting, but, but short, about four hours. Um, in similar destiny style, they offer you like, here's a checklist of things you can do with your new character to kind of you know, give you that carrot to keep playing. Um, but obviously they added another operation brand new just this past week, which was the other Hawkeye, uh, Clint Barton. And he is very similar to Kate, he, you know, bow and arrow sword. And, um, instead of teleportation powers, he, he kind of just, um, has more bow skills. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's, uh, you can, so you can totally see where they're going with sort of the similar kits and kind of lumping them together. Like this is our bow and arrow character, um, and our, our sort of our bow and arrow model. And here's it applied to, you know, with, with slight tweaks to, to provide a new character. Um, and it seems like that may be their sort of pattern going forward. Although, you know, Black Panther was, that was just announced will probably be a, like a like a a lighter version of Hulk, like a smaller version of Hulk, I guess. He'll be a brawler like Hulk. And I'm guessing, but um the the reason I I bring up, you know, playing shortly before the show is I I had finished the operation last night and like I thought, okay, what happens after that? And I'm reminded you've unlocked a third of your your kit for the character, like all of the skill points. And after you finish the campaign, which is by far the best parts of the game, you basically have to run in and just do a bunch of random missions, leveling up your character very slowly, getting better gear in order to access the next stage of what are essentially like the Destiny checklist quests. You know, like I have like do a hive mission, do a do a, a tachyon breakout. It's different. Those are those offer different gameplay and different structure to the missions outside of like the standard run through, kill these guys, run through, kill these guys. It's a little different and you can't access those until you get a character at a specific power level. And in order to do that, you have to run through these missions over and over and over. And that is the core issue of the game is they're not adding. And maybe they are going to target that there is a roadmap. They need to target that 
chunk of the game, like the the treadmill part of the game that is yes fun but very tedious so uh that is still there they have not addressed that maybe you know with their updates leading up to uh the war for wakanda expansion uh we'll get there but uh i'll just uh, say about that that yeah maybe it's apply to the new stuff too but that is ultimately the difficult thing that live service games always have to deal with is that you just cannot build content anywhere near like to the degree that it would take to satisfy the people that just want to play that game all the mm-hmm. time. You know, put like 30, 40 hours into it like every week or two. So you really do have to find the balance of something where, yeah, there's kind of like gatekeeping, some court, some type of grind, but where it's actually still fun to do. And that's really what apparently Marvel's Avengers has completely failed to do is make it fun. And yeah. that's why basically nobody's playing, nobody really cares that much about these new characters just because okay yeah but it's a new character new like initial operation but once you get past that you're just doing the exact same thing as before but with you know a different kit which and when the thing you're doing before wasn't fun you don't want to do it even with a different kit exactly that is that is the exact uh exact issue and i mean we can we'll definitely pick this back up and in a moment, like, you know, moving, you know, moving into the news, uh, I will say this first, um, you can support the show directly by going to patreon.com slash the gamers in. I know that was a hard turn, but, uh, Hey, just like Marvel's Avengers, we gotta, we gotta get the support in as well. Um, we don't have a battle pass or anything. We just go to patreon.com slash the gamers in, and we are looking for our next featured patron, but there's lots of rewards there. You get access to the Patreon mini, which goes out, you know, pretty much, I think every Monday consistently for, uh, for patrons and, uh, well, early access for patrons, but a lot of fun stuff there, a little extra tidbits that may not make it on the show. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then moving into the news, uh, as we already mentioned, there was some Avengers news out of the Square Enix Presents uh, video presentation. There was a lot of announcements, but since we were talking about Avengers, they did announce uh, within within this, they announced um, that uh, Black Panther is going to be coming to the game and it's going to be part of, he is going to be part of an expansion, War for Wakanda. So they're basically calling this um, they're calling it an expansion because it's a new biome, it's a new villain, um, it's a new faction that you're going to be fighting uh, with uh, Claw. So Claw is featured in voiceover, and you get a little bit of look at the Wakanda environment and stuff like that. And uh, you do get one quick look at uh, at Black Panther. And I mean, this, it looks really cool, uh, but like if this is looking at a live service game and and when live services games games fail they fail spectacularly uh, this is the first year of content we're going to get black panther war for wakanda but is this the only expansion we're going to get and are they are they really gonna you know really go for it with this expansion i don't know it's hard to say like the trailer doesn't give us much to be honest it's it's, it's more of a teaser really like, does this interest you? Like, do you think you'll buy like a like a an on sale version of Marvel's Avengers? Like, knowing mm-hmm. that you're going to be getting an expansion in the summer. I don't know if I'd ever buy the game. It's probably something where, like, if it ends up on Game Pass and I'm happen to be sub to it at the time, I'd check it out. You know, mess around a bit, but 
I mean, it's just not a game that, like, at its core is, like, super interesting to me. I like I like the Marvel movies and stuff, but I don't really have any real attachment to any of these heroes beyond that. But as far as, like, the future of the game, I mean, yeah, Black Panther's a big name. It sounds like they'll, you know, they'll actually have a third villain, finally. So that's something. But if it's... There's just, like, so many underlying problems that I hear people talk about that even if this does draw people back in, it sounds like unless they really figure out something to fix the base game as it is, then people are going to come in, play Black Panther for, you know, five, six hours, whatever it is, maybe play the new content with their favorite character for another few hours, and then probably just stop again because the big issues aren't going to be solved. So new content is great, but they really need is to really buckle down and figure out where the game went wrong in the first place and fix that yeah i agree i mean the the teaser trailer they talked about the next gen version update it's kind of weird like i think you're right they focused in on the the two things that like were already teased slash promised and we didn't really need to see that in a in your big presentation what we needed to see was addressing the core issues of uh that that middle ground content and probably the late game content as well um in that i think the roadmap they've put out which is just is literally just a bunch of jpegs and and titles slapped over top of them with like vague promises of timelines but those additions do sound like you know in jpeg form sound like they might be something that would address those concerns like giving us more mid game content and end game content but why they didn't show those is probably because they're not ready to be shown, but they're not easily teased without providing a lot of details. So it's it's weird. That game, yeah, I, I wanted to like it. I mean, you know, Marvel and Avengers is just, it's so hot that I you've kind of figured, like, how could they screw this up? And then right off the bat, it's like, oh, wow, there's something about this that does not feel right. And I think it's just ever since that initial reveal at E3 a few years ago, it's just has not been able to get its footing. And uh, they did announce the Spider-Man stuff was was going to be delayed until uh, post summer, just but they could confirm someone was someone was working on it. Like some guy <laughs> that Sony paid is paying to do it is is in the basement of the only person in the basement of the Square Enix uh, Montreal Studios or whatever wherever this or no Crystal Dynamics. Uh, they're working on they're working really hard on spider-man um was there anything else in in this presents that that kind of caught your eye like that really you know shone through like i don't even know if you if you watched it but i didn't watch it but i did check out the highlights of what did interest me which was um the reveal well semi like reveal of more game of i guess his first gameplay look of forspoken formerly project athea which does look interesting. It's hard to say more than interesting just because we don't really know much of anything about it, except that it appears to be a third-person action-adventure with a MFing dragon, according to the protagonist. <laughs> yeah, I did love that. Um, it it kind of feels... So there's this weird disconnect in this trailer. It kind of feels like you've got someone trapped in a in a modern world but there's dragons because she's kind of wearing like civvies and, and sneakers and stuff but then they get to the gameplay and she's like it feels more like a like a mage zipping around and stuff it was really weird weirdly disconnected but looked really yeah. cool yeah 
presence here at dawn a bit which i think i mean the the environment that you see these sort of like you know rocky environments with also trees and such is very reminiscent of a, where you spend a lot of horizons here at dawn which of course you know similar third person action adventure or female protagonist you know a world that looks kind of familiar but also is very different from what we live in but was interesting to me I don't think it really showed combat at all, at least not much of it. But which, like you mentioned, the movement where she's just kind of zipping around, it actually reminds me of, um, what was it called? Near Automata. Oh, which yeah. I didn't really, which I never played. I think I played the demo. But those sort of like, you know, action, Bayonetta-style games, Devil May Cry, etc., aren't really my thing. I'm I probably mostly just because I'm terrible at them. <laughs> so very much memory of the um it reminds me of the movement of Tubi, I think her name is, where she is like kind of zipping around in the battlefield attacking stuff. And who knows if it's gonna be like what the combat is actually like in detail, but it's certainly a very interesting and cool looking movement thing. And I always like, you know, going fast in games. It's certainly better than you know, slowly walking and such. Um so I mean like I said, I'm interested. It looks beautiful. It looks interesting, but you know, still, we just know almost nothing about the game. So it's just sort of like, hey, that looks cool, and I look forward to learning more about it six months from now, and possibly checking it out whenever it comes out. And I think 2022 is when they said it would come out. Yeah, they they did say it would launch in 2022, uh, and and it, it you know it looks like. Uh... It looks like a really. It looks like actually a legit next generation title too, and I think that's what's most exciting is that of all the announcements we got from Square Enix, that is a truly next generation experience. And yeah, from from everything from just presentation of cinematics to the gameplay to the traversal, it it looks really good. Um, that one will be on PC as well. Uh, they you know some other highlights. Um, I'm trying to think like, you know, they're trying to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Tomb Raider. Um, I say trying to because there's just not there's just nothing big and bombastic. Uh, but that being said, they are providing like a complete the new trilogy, a complete new trilogy. It's being offered uh, for like 20 bucks. And then in two weeks, it'll go back up to it'll go up to 50. But that includes Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. All fantastic games. Uh, so you can check those out. I wonder with the anniversary if maybe they, if it's another like COVID casualty, or maybe they wanted to do something like, you know, maybe re- remasters or something of the old games, the original Tomb Raiders from the 90s, or, oh, yeah. you know, some other kind of like celebratory thing. But, you know, just due to the issues with COVID, there's just simply no way to have it on, like, remotely on time for the 25th anniversary. So, Maybe it comes later. Maybe it was just axed completely. But it is a little, a little weird to be like big twenty fifth anniversary celebration. Um, have these games that you've probably already played for cheap. Yeah, no, and it's you. Know, when you think of other anniversaries, like I know Pokemon's doing its own thing, but uh, the what Mario did. I mean, you could you could say like there was work done to to put that trilogy together, but still, it was a it was a similar offering. And I mean, they have. They have announced other things they're doing, and we've talked about those on on the show with with a new game that is coming, but they're not ready to show, uh, and a Netflix adaptation. So, I mean, Tomb Raider's getting its due, and it's not thirtieth, so like maybe we'll have something 
something big for the 30th. Uh, the other big announcement was a new Life is Strange. Uh, it's Life is Strange True Colors. And that's launching in September on September 10th for pretty much everything except for the Switch, which is interesting. I feel like that franchise would do really well on the Switch. Um, but it is being released as a full game. There's no episodes, no episodic waiting. You just get to play it all in one sitting. So that is exciting. And it's set in Colorado. And the main character, Alex Chen, uh, is she has this this power linked to emotions you can kind of sense people's emotions it's a it, it looks interesting and it looks really nice it definitely looks like the the best looking life is strange game to date but uh we'll see we'll see how it reviews when it comes out um personally yeah. i'm not yeah I'm, i i liked the original life is strange i just haven't been able to get into them since yeah i've never played life is strange um I mean, I do enjoy narrative adventures. I don't necessarily need, like, heavy gameplay. You know, besides, like, 13 Sentinels, I've played other games like um, AI, The Somnium Files, uh, Valhalla, Coffee Talk, which are pretty close to, like, visual novels or, like, very light gameplay to them. But I guess the stories have maybe not been that appealing to me. So I probably won't check this out, though. I am glad they're abandoning the episodic thing because who actually likes that i've never heard anybody say well i i guess i've heard people say that it's kind of nice because it makes it more bite size though yeah, they have I've an that. <laughs> that with um this new one that it's going to be individual chapters even though it's not separate episodes so if you do want it to be bite size you can just play a chapter at a time then wait a week or two so, I mean, that's good for people that want it that way. But the episodic thing, it's like, why, like, who, like, again, just <laughs> who actually prefers that? I, I think, like, the original idea, like, the Telltale model, it was interesting because, yeah, it was bite size, especially for the podcast. I remember Wolf Among Us, we would play the episode, we would talk about the episode, and it was something we could easily digest before a podcast, talk about it for a full show. And then come back three months later and have that guaranteed follow-up content. But as we move forward with all these games coming out, like I look at Life is Strange 2, um, it, it was a game that followed that similar model. It would be months between episodes. And for me, like I would play the first episode, maybe check out the second, but like it's diminishing returns and whether you're going to pop back into my mind when there's new and shiny stuff coming out every week. And... I know that makes me sound like a distracted, weird person, but it's so true. There's just so much happening. And, and even like that Xbox offering that happened, I think last year was like, tell us, tell me why it was an episodic game by don't nod. It was on game pass and there was a strict schedule. It was released weekly and I couldn't even do that. Like I, I got through like one and a half episodes and then I, I jumped ship. So I think just something about having the complete package in front of you just, allows you to focus and not be distracted and, and enjoy a full story. Like, but on the other side of it, like you look at WandaVision, you look at, uh, uh, the Mandalorian, like that's a week to week thing that, that is bite sized that you really dig and you look forward to. So maybe it's the content's never really been there. Like it's hard for games to capture what TV has been doing for decades. It's hard it, to say. It just be, a difference in medium where just it feels better on TV than gaming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense for 
maybe for like Telltale early on for financial reasons where they simply can't develop the game all at once. But, you know, Life is Strange has, I believe, always been published in partnership with Square Enix, so money should not be an issue. It's, it was obviously a very conscious choice and not a good one, if you ask me. So I'm glad for Life is Strange fans that if they want to, they can just experience the whole story right away. I think it's just a much better way to, to do things. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I'm uh, probably more likely to look at uh, this new Life is Strange in a... In a I'm going to finish this type uh, type uh, experience. So um, looking at uh, 2022, we talked a little bit about a game. It looks like a lot of games are going to be delayed from 2021 to 2022. And, and we got our one of our first announcements here, which is Gotham Knights, which was a game confirmed for 2021. Actually, there was the, the Harry Potter game that got delayed as well. So uh, yeah, Gotham Knights is coming to 2022. And I, I think it's just one of those things where we're probably need to prepare for a lot of those like games that were promised this year that are now coming out next year just due to the whole circumstances with COVID-19 and and the remote work for for a lot of these teams so just thought I'd mention that the more we hear it I think the easier it is a pill to to swallow (laughs) knowing that some of our favorite games might not be coming out this year yeah we're definitely gonna be hearing it more Um, I don't think anybody believes that the next God of War is coming out this year so (laughs) do hasn't announced it yet they haven't said anything but nobody thinks that's a 2021 game horizon might make it because it's probably further along in development but yeah the god of war that's like everybody's just assuming it's going to be delayed and some other games like games that i'm looking forward to um chorus which is a it's like a space flight game though it's more like it's not really so much a flight sim like a star wars squadrons more of a it's really just like an action game that just have to take place in space, I think. But it looks really cool, but that was announced at Gamescom last year. Haven't heard anything in several months. Their website hasn't been updated with much of anything. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's delayed. Uh, Stray, which was released or revealed in the PS5 so- showcase last year. A game where you're like a, uh, a house cat. Oh, with around. the robots. Yeah, with the robots, all the humans are gone. That's wouldn't be surprised if that gets delayed. Even Kane of Bridge of Spirits, that was in, uh, also in the PS5 showcase. That was supposed to be a holiday 2020 game. Then it got pushed to first quarter 2021, and now that we have a like solid release date, that's August. So that's probably not going to delay it anymore. But again, just we're really starting to see the effects of COVID much more so than we did last year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think you're a lot of games that are kind of targeting like second half of 2021 like i think we're starting to see the end of the games that were sort of ready to go and they were kind of pushing that polish and maybe got a little bit of a delay uh you're gonna see those slip a little further into 2021 but i think you're gonna see a lot more bigger titles and and even games that were never even announced i'm sure there are a lot of games uh specifically from nintendo I, i know we saw a lot of you know i think we've seen the last of nintendo's big offerings that were ready to go in 2020 slash 2021. And I think we're going to see a, we're probably going to, we should prepare for a light year from all the major platforms. I mean, even Microsoft, they delayed Halo Infinite. There's a reason they delayed it till fall of this year. It's because there's no way they were going to have it ready um, or polished up in, in a, in a chance to, to release it in a, in a decent window for, for Xbox series X. So yeah, yeah and prepare. I, and also something that should be noted is that, 
while COVID has obviously been hard on everybody, I believe Japan in particular has been hit really hard because they just are not really set up for this whole work from home thing. Like, you know, in the US and Europe, tons of people have, you know, good PCs at home that have all the, you know, the tech at home they need, the infrastructure, they're kind of set up to do it, but Japan really doesn't. They're not like a big PC country. Like console gaming has always been a much, much larger thing over there. So I think they're, you're really going to see any kind of Japanese developed game, especially be hit by these because they're really, they're, they're, they're really struggling with it, which isn't surprising. Yeah. It's, and I think it's something that I think we can all just agree that, yeah, take the time you need. Don't rush out a game that's not ready. Um, But I think this year is going to be a lot of weird sort of hold on to your butts sort of announcements in that you should prepare for a 20, like a 2022 is going to be interesting. If a lot of developers buckle down and they, and they work on their projects and and we have a big, big return to form, like a lot of industries are going to have once, once the pandemic sort of subsides, Um, including the fact that the PlayStation new, the new PlayStation VR, which had been sort of weirdly announced in a blog post a couple months ago, has now had its controller revealed in a blog post. Um, and I mean, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but, uh, very Oculus touch esque controllers. Um, they have adapted the, uh, speaking of adapted, the adaptive, uh, triggers are going to be sort of ported over to the VR controller. So the L2 and R2, buttons that you're familiar with if you've used the playstation 5 controller are going to be adapted over to this uh these new touch controllers and i mean pour one out for the move right like the move is done and and now oculus has taken over yeah it's uh i mean the playstation vr was really it was fine for what it was which was a lower priced way to get vr something for playstation to you know really test the waters on vr see how well it would work like how interested their audience would be. And I'd say it succeeded. I mean, sure, there's there's issues. The move controllers weren't very good. The PlayStation camera is not particularly good for tracking, but I I don't know if it still is because of the Quest, but I know that for quite a while, the PSVR was easily the best-selling um, VR headset on the market. So, and I'm, I'm glad they're doing a, uh, a follow-up. The only thing I'm disappointed about, though, is that it's going to be wired. I understand why, but because it is that probably makes it cheaper, makes it just simply easier to do. But you've you have a quest, right? Uh, yeah, I do have the quest. Yep. Have you played like the three sixty levels on Beat Saber? Yes, yes, I have. Those are those are a special experience and and one that you'll you'll never be able to do on a wired. It's just impossible to wire unless you have like those weird sort of the wires go up into the ceiling. You see them more in more industrial sort of VR. Well, these places don't exist anymore, but like VR sort of kiosks, they kind of have the cables going up in the ceiling. But even then you, you can get kind of tangled up in those 360 levels. Yeah, you could possibly do it if it's specifically designed for wired use so that it never turns you too far, that it always turns you back in the same direction. But I played those, I played... 360 levels in other rhythm games like Autica and Synth Riders. And it is just, it is obviously the way that VR should be played. And I think that a lot of more traditional, like, because I mostly just use VR as like a peripheral for rhythm games. 
all kinds of other stuff. We're just going to really benefit from wireless tech just because you can do so much more without having, because you don't have to worry about, you know, oh, are they going to get tangled with the wire? Am I turning too far in one direction without going back to the other, etc.? So I was really hoping that PSVR2 would really push the push the market in that direction because, you know, we've got like 360 levels for Beat Saber on, but it's like usually just like one difficulty per track at most. And the other like Synth Riders is sort of like a, I think they do it all in system rather than like specific beat maps. But for the most part, devs aren't going to do 360 content if most edge tests aren't 360. So, you know, without with only the Quest on the market for three for wireless headsets, we're going to still kind of continue to see not a whole lot done specifically with that in mind, which I think is really going to limit like what VR can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the true immersion of VR is sort of breaking away from that one eighty degree sort of viewpoint without having to worry about you know tearing down your entire entertainment system and you know i i think um there's been talk of facebook having and i know the vive has it but it's like a wireless processing unit um i don't know how well it works but the quest has a wireless pc streaming through virtual desktop which is software you used to have to sort of hack together through SideQuest, but now you can do uh, through the Facebooks or through the Oculus Store. I think with a, a, I think they were trying to get it in through a new service that offered sort of like beta experiences, but it was enabled in the actual app through the store. Uh, I don't know if it's changed since then, but like you used to have to do a bunch of go through a bunch of hoops, create a developer account, but now it's just it should just work. And there was always talk of like, is Oculus working on a wireless? sort of physical i mean if they can sell a hundred dollar usb cable i'm sure they can figure out a way to charge us you know 150 bucks to 200 bucks for like a wireless processing unit and i would like to see if sony wants to do the wired version let's see sort of an option to break away from that cable you know an optional experience which helps keep the cost of the headset down but also offers you know that that pro model for people to be able to to, to put a little bit of extra money in to get the full experience. Um, yeah, that, probably still doesn't address the issues that you said in that it, you're not going to get a lot of those jumps in um, uh, gameplay innovation by having a $200 peripheral required, but I, it's a step, right? Yeah, that is actually exactly what I'm hoping they do is they create some sort of optional accessory that lets you stream from the PS5 to the next PS uh, VR. Because, yeah, it's not going to push development that hard because it's probably going to be kind of expensive and optional, of course. But at least it does mean that you can do PSVR games without having to deal with the wire. So I've done a couple things like with the Oculus Link cable, and I just hate the wire. It just feels so much worse. Even if you're not affected by it that much, it just feels so much worse than being completely free. Yeah, exactly. For sure, I agree. Um, looking at our final news story, and I mean, there's not a lot to go on here, so we, we probably don't want to speculate too much, but it looks like Discord, and I apologize, Discord, if you don't want me to talk about this, we are recording over Discord, but, um, Discord is looking to sell and or go public. They're looking at their options 
And Bloomberg is reporting that one such company that is looking to buy, or at least in talks to acquire Discord, is Microsoft. Microsoft might be buying them for more than $10 billion. Uh, I mean, a lot of people reacted negatively to this. I mean, everyone remembers Skype. And I mean, personally, my argument is that Skype was always bad and and Microsoft just didn't make it better. (laughs) Uh, But they didn't make it worse. I think it was always bad. Um, But Discord, I think Microsoft buying Discord makes sense for Microsoft. I just don't know if it makes sense for Discord, you know? I view this as being fairly positive, I think, because the thing is that I think a lot of people are viewing this from the idea of either Discord sells, goes public, or stays private with the same founders still in charge, making all the calls and stuff. But really, I don't believe that's an option. I think it's really just either sell or go public because Discord is like so many tech startups funded largely through venture capital firms. It's also been some companies like Tencent, because of course Tencent's involved, but uh, it is mostly just venture capital investing in Discord that's helped them grow. And they are not, those firms are not looking for, you know, a nice long, like 15 year investment return of their money through the company's profits. They're looking to get either a payout from them being sold, the tech firm being sold to somebody else for a lot of money or by going public. Yeah. So I don't I just don't think the third option is something that's going to happen because there is surely pressure on Discord's um CEO, you know, top leadership to figure out a way to either make that big chunk of money. So I don't like the idea of them going public on their own that much because that means, you know, shareholders, board of directors, all that nonsense that are just going to really push it towards figuring out a way to make bigger profits. I don't know if they're really profitable right now or not. I've never heard anything one way or the other. And that could really, really diminish the experience with Discord if they really start having to figure out better ways to monetize it than they currently do. They, yeah. I don't think they'd ever like go like, you know, pay for servers or pay for accounts or anything, but, you know, monetization sneaky monetization is definitely a thing and we don't want to deal with that so as far as somebody else buying them for one thing it's really good it's not google because then we just have to wonder what we're going to do after discord gets shut down because (laughs) you know freaking google but (laughs) you know microsoft is i think they're a pretty good company these days to be honest they mostly do good things it's definitely a it's definitely different than microsoft from 10 15 years ago they make good stuff they mostly leave companies under them alone i don't think there's really been any big issues with them buying github as far as i know i'm not into that scene but i haven't really heard anything and this discord could actually be something i don't know how they tie it in for them but it could be something good for them tying in with game pass somehow uh, or just integrating in the whole like microsoft gaming system um, you know, it gives them access to a lot of users. They can probably integrate it somehow into Xbox, Xbox Live, X Cloud, Game Pass, etc. So, if Discord is going to be bought from someone or go public on their own, I don't think Microsoft's a bad choice. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Microsoft at this stage is uh, is the be- is the better choice over some of the other options like Google 
or Amazon um, being another company that would be interested in what Discord has to offer. Not Amazon. Yeah, I don't want Amazon to buy it either. Uh, and then, like, I don't like Apple has the money, but I don't think Apple would be interested in owning Discord. Um, maybe I don't think PlayStation's pocket or Sony's pockets are deep enough. Um, I think with Microsoft, you keep the Discord we know and love. Um, and you stop Discord from having to put forward some, as you said, like more nefarious uh, um, monetization options. I mean, they did try to do like a shop. It didn't really work. They shut that down. But Nitro, as far as I know, is still pretty popular. I could see Microsoft getting Nitro implemented into Game Pass Ultimate. You know, um, I've always wanted to see Discord as an option for voice chat and party systems on consoles I, as a third as a secondary option or even as a complete replacement so maybe we see that on the xbox and because that's an expensive endeavor to start supporting you know additional platforms on top of like mobile and, and desktop they have a great mac app that i use every every day and it runs really well so i would love to see that on consoles i think you're right like given the option like if discord really is being pressured to pay out these investors uh then a sale to microsoft i think is the lesser of other evils right so we'll see this could amount to nothing but as of right now it's looking likely like discord is is going to sell but uh none of these talks are so far advanced that we're going to see news in the coming weeks it could be months it could be it could be months until we even see like a deal announcement, let alone a final purchase. So um, yep. stay tuned for sure. All right. That brings us to the end of our show. Uh, as mentioned, Discord, bit.ly slash TGI Discord. Certainly head over there and join the conversation. Uh, you can email the show, info at gamersinpodcast.com. And before we jump out for realsies, uh, Jim, where can people find you on the internet? Let them know where they can uh, hear more about your time in uh, Trails of Cold Steel. I almost said Trails of Cold series, but uh, yeah, you could find me on Twitter at Jimmy the Shovel, where I post nonsense and funny screenshots from games. I've I've got so many screenshots from the Trails games so far. I haven't posted very many of them, but there's a lot of really good funny dialogue in it. A lot of great like you know back and forth between characters and such. But yeah. You can find me on there, and of course, you can always find me in TGI Discord. All right. Well, yeah, definitely check out the Discord and uh, check out Jimmy's uh, awesome screenshots on Twitter. I, I can't wait to, like I said, live vicariously through you with all these these great anime games, uh, JRPGs. But uh, if you want to find more Gamers In, go to GamersInPodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. As you said, uh, Jim is at Jimmy the Shovel. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays and me at R. Murphy. Don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn as well. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. Have yourselves a great week. Bye, everyone.